We are taught from a young age to be safe in whatever we do. This isn't bad advice for everyday tasks that God has given us to do, but when it comes to following Jesus, we can wrongly assume that God would never call us to do something costly or dangerous. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more free resources over at our website, Radical.net. Our time, effort, and resources are spent on maximizing our comfort. However, Jesus said that following Him would mean forsaking everything. And while we aren't to seek out suffering, we know that proclaiming the gospel in many areas of the world requires taking risks. In today's sermon from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30, David Platt reminds us not to let comfort become an idol but instead to pursue faithfulness in Christ, even if it costs us our lives. Being with Christ is infinitely better than any temporary security this world can offer. Here's David Platt with a sermon titled, The Idolatry of Comfort and the Glory of Christ, from Philippians chapter 1. If you have a Bible, and I hope uh, you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, I want to invite you to open with me to Philippians chapter 1, the New Testament. Feel free to use your table of contents in the Bible if you need to, Philippians chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I want to welcome those of you in other places, in Prince William and Montgomery County and Loudoun and the Wharf and different microsites. It's good to be together across Washington, around the Word. The plan this morning was to dive back into our 12 traits of a biblical church series after Easter last week, and Lord willing, we'll continue that series next week, but as I was praying this week, I was in the middle of preparing something different, and I just had a strong sense that we needed to go in a a different direction today particularly in light of uh, a couple people who are in worship with us. So uh, for those of you who are joining uh, with us uh, from other locations, uh, I want to fill you in on, on something we just heard from a brother named Gilbert Hosepian. Uh, so Gilbert's dad, his name is Hike, planted a church in Iran back in 1964. And in the days to come, became the leader of a large network of churches there. Gilbert's dad was known for proclaiming Christ in the middle of increasing persecution, defending Christians when they were persecuted. Back in 1993, Gilbert's dad received news about an execution order that had been put out for an Iranian Iranian pastor who had been a convert from Islam, had been in prison for about 10 years. And Gilbert's dad started working tirelessly to bring international attention to that pastor's plight. And eventually that pastor was released. But three days after that pastor was released, Gilbert's dad disappeared. Gilbert was 17 at the time. And two weeks later, Gilbert's family found his dad's body stabbed 26 times in the chest. And in the days to come, several other Iranian believers disappeared, suddenly were murdered, including that same pastor that Gilbert's dad had had fought to defend. So Gilbert is here with us at Tyson's today because he led worship today at a, yesterday at a conference put on by Voice of the Martyrs that we held here. A variety of people spoke at that conference, including Gracia Burnham, whose husband was martyred beside her years ago in the Philippines where they were serving as missionaries. So Gracia is with us in worship today as well. As I was thinking about Gilbert and Gracia and praying about what God wants to say to us today, I couldn't help but to think that we needed to pause in the middle of what we had planned and hear a word that I believe we desperately need to hear in our lives and in our families and in this church. 
So I've titled this sermon, The Idolatry of Comfort and the Glory of Christ. So let's just put everything on the table. Uh, we live in a culture that is deeply committed to comfort, health, and safety, which is not surprising. Like if this life is all there is, then make it as comfortable, as long, and as pleasure-filled as possible. Get more and better, nicer, newer possessions, build bigger barns, larger savings accounts and 401ks to protect you just in case, avoid risk, maximize reward, live your best life now. Like this is success according to our culture. What's sobering, though, is the way this perspective has penetrated the people of God. You and me and our lives and our families and the church. I was talking this last week with a professor at a respected Christian university. He told me how the trustees of that school have forbidden professors from taking students on mission trips overseas to Muslim countries because there's too much risk involved. I said, do they not want students to obey the Great Commission? And he said, oh, the trustees aren't the biggest barrier. The biggest barrier is the parents. He said, even if trustees allowed trips to Muslim countries, parents of Christian students won't let them go because they think it's too dangerous. The parents won't go and they're sure not letting their kids go. Parents in this room, if that is our perspective, then we may call ourselves Christians but we are not following Christ. We need a totally different perspective than our culture in the church. What if in these ways, the worldview of our culture is completely wrong? What if this life is not all there is? What if God never intended this to be our best life now? And what if there is something that is infinitely more important in your life and your family than comfort, health, and safety? And what if missing this actually means missing the whole point of your life? Listen to the word of God. This is not my words. Paul writes these words inspired by the Holy Spirit from prison. So he's in prison for proclaiming the gospel when he says, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, 
but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Do you hear what the word of God is saying? For the Christian, for every true follower of Christ, Christ is your life. Like plain and simple, Christ is your life. This is what we saw last week in John 20. We asked the question, is Christ your life? That's the question we asked on Easter. So when you truly believe in Christ, then you have life in his name. That's exactly what Paul's saying here, explicitly in verse 21, for me to live is Christ. Jesus is my life. He's my life. And it's all over what we just read. Verse 13, he says, my imprisonment is for who? It's for Christ. So my imprisonment's for Then in verse 15 through 18, he starts talking about people who are preaching Christ for different motives. And he says, what's most important, verse 18, is that Christ is proclaimed. That's what makes me joyful. That's what brings life to me. As long as Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. Verse 20, I just want Christ to be honored in my body, regardless of whether I live or die. I just want Christ to be glorified. Verse 23, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. That language, it's like, it's like when I'm out of town on a long trip and I, I'm sending a text to Heather saying, I miss you so much. I can't wait to be back home with you and the kids, away from wherever I am, home with you. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, that's the way I feel about Christ. I just want to be with him. Like, I can't wait to be out of here with him. But for now, Paul says, I trust that Christ has me here for your sake. So that, verse 26, you might glory in Christ. In other words, so that you might know Christ as your life. And then he keeps going. So, so go over to chapter 3 here in Philippians. Now, keep in mind, we're jumping over Philippians 2 here, where Paul talks about Jesus and how great and glorious he is, how he is God in the flesh, how in love he came to us, took the very nature of a servant, made himself nothing, became obedient to the point of dying on a cross for our sins. Then he rose from the dead. Now he's exalted as Lord over all. So he gives this glorious picture of Jesus. And then he writes, so listen to the language. Uh, in chapter 3, Paul's talking to, about a group of people called Judaizers. And he's calling them out for how they were defining success, even success before God. And he basically says, based on all they had, and he says, nobody compete with, can compete with me when it comes to success in this world. Pick up midway through verse 4, where Paul starts listing off the highlights of his resume. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So here's the highlights. I'll put them up here on the screen. He says, one, look at my family heritage. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So Paul's uh, family, Jewish roots were thick. Circumcised, born not just to the people of Israel, but the tribe of Benjamin. You go back to the Old Testament. This is the tribe that gave the nation of Israel its first king. What was the first king's name? Saul. 
after whom Paul was named. If you want Hebrew family heritage, you can't beat Paul. Then second, social status. Keep going here. The tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, basically saying upper echelon in Jewish life. High class at the pinnacle of Jewish social structure. Then he says, add to family heritage, biblical and social status, biblical knowledge into verse five, as to the law of Pharisee. Now we have to be careful here because many people who, who read through the Bible, when we think of Pharisees, we often think of them as hypocrites because Jesus was continually calling them out, but that's not necessarily how they were viewed in that day. The Pharisees, Pharisees were known for their love for the law, their strict interpretation of their their zealous obedience to it. They knew the law backwards and forwards and they followed it. Paul's saying, I knew the word. And then he backed it up with religious activity. Here's another mark on his resume. Paul wasn't just mildly religious. He was zealous in his religion. Verse six, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He was on a mission. And then one more list on the, one more item on the resume. He had a moral lifestyle as to righteousness under the law, blameless, he said. You want to see somebody who follows all the rules, who keeps all the law? Nobody can compare with Paul. Now, I want you to look at that resume with me and think about all these things. What do all of them have in common? Think about it with me. Family heritage, social status, biblical knowledge, religious activity, and a moral lifestyle. What do all those things have in common? They're all good things, right? Family heritage, that's not bad. That's good. Social status, not necessarily bad by any means. Biblical knowledge, not bad. Religious activity, a moral lifestyle. These are all great things. But listen to what Paul says next in verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, in other words, all these good things in the world, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It's all loss. And just in case we didn't hear him this first time, he says it again. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he says it a third time. Get the point. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Huh, we got to feel the weight of the statement Paul just made. So that word for rubbish in the original language of the New Testament is literally dung. You likely can think of other words that would be inappropriate to use right now. And that's what Paul just said. He just took all the good things, all the valuable things of his life in this world, and he just called them all rubbish compared to knowing Christ. He says, I gladly lose, lost, lose all those things just to know Christ. That's what he says in verse 10, that I may know him. Christ is my life. Picture it. It's like, it's like Paul takes a piece of paper. He puts two columns and on one side, he lists all the good things this world has to offer. And then above that list, he writes one word, loss. And then in the other column, he writes one word, Christ. And on top of that column, he writes, gain. Because he really believes, he really believes that the best things of this world are like dung in comparison to Christ. That is a very different way to think. That is a very different way to live. That is a radically different Christianity than the one that is so often practiced in our culture and in churches like ours. And this is so important. This is the danger. I can't emphasize this enough because you can have all of these things, all of these things in this world. A good family life, good social status, Nice house, nice car, nice job, nice vacations. You can have biblical knowledge and religious activity on top of that. And you can have a good, lead a good, moral, decent, upstanding life. You can have all those things and still not have Christ. That's why I continually ask, like, not do you go to church? Have you prayed a prayer? What kind of car do you drive? How successful are you in your business? How moral a life are you living? How much biblical knowledge do you have? Get through the rubbish. Get through the dung. Do you know Christ? Is Christ your life? 
Like your life such that you would say, ask it, is, is Jesus your life such that you would say all the best things in your life, from family to finances to possessions to pleasures to comfort, safety, health, wealth, success, you would say none of these things, all of these things together don't compare to the treasure I have in Christ. Isn't this the testimony of men and women throughout history? God help us. God make us like Job. If God takes it all away, my land, my home, my possessions, my health, my children. If he takes it all away, just like that, and everyone, even my own wife is cursing me, I will still have my joy and my hope and my life because my Redeemer lives. God, make us like Hannah amidst her longing for a child. She cries, 1 Samuel 2, 6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. I trust in him. God, make us like Moses. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, by, Mo, by faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. God can make us like men and women throughout Christian history. Is this not Gilbert's dad in Iran saying, I'm going to protect the body of Christ and I'm going to proclaim the gospel of Christ no matter what, because Christ is my life. Even if that means I will never see my family that I love again, at least not in this world. This is huge. Follow this. This is such a different way to think, such a different way to live, and this affects everything. This affects the way you view possessions in this world. You realize they're rubbish. This affects the way you view so many pursuits in this world. They're rubbish. And so many pleasures that this world puts in front of you, they're all rubbish compared to knowing and gaining and treasuring loving Christ. He's your life. So is it true? Is Jesus your life like that? Is he your life? And then follow this. When Jesus is your life, oh, don't miss what happens. When Christ is your life, when Christ is your life, then suffering is a gift. When Christ is your life, then suffering is a gift. If what we've been talking about so far has been crazy in this world, we are totally off the reservation now. Suffering, a gift. Go back to Philippians chapter one. Look at verse 29. This is a weird verse. Very strange. Follow this. Paul says, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. What does that mean? It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should believe in him. Okay, that makes sense. Like it's a gift to believe in Christ, to receive salvation in Christ, to believe the gospel, the good news that God loves us enough to send Jesus to die for our sins. Absolutely, that's a gift. It's a gift to believe in Christ. But that's not all Paul's saying here. Paul's saying it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. Oh, so there's another gift here. Great. So what's the other gift? That you should also suffer for him. What kind of gift is that? Have you ever been given a gift you didn't want? Like I didn't ask for, ask for this. Suffering has been granted given to you. Imagine that invitation. Become a Christian and get a gift. What's the gift? Suffering. (laughs) Who's walking forward now? (laughs) And how in the world do you see suffering as a gift? I am so glad you asked. Here's how. Here's how. Think about what suffering is. Suffering, simplified, is when things that we want, 
things that we love, things that we desire, enjoy, oftentimes really good things are taken away from us. People, family, friends, when we lose somebody we love, we suffer. Divorce, when a spouse no longer loves, we suffer. When we lose health, when we're struck with disease or pain, we suffer and health is taken away. Financial crisis, when we lose money, we lose a job, we suffer. When we lose all these things we've been talking about, comfort, health, safety, and on and on and on and on. When these oftentimes good things are taken away from us, sometimes by circumstances in our control, many times by circumstances out of our control. Regardless, when they're taken away from us, we suffer. But go back to what we talked about earlier. When you have already taken all the best things this world has to offer, and you've put them in, in a column over here under loss, and you've put Christ in a column under gain, then when one or more of these things are taken from you, it's not easy. I want to be clear. I'm not saying the Bible's not saying suffering is easy. Losing good, great things in this world, people we love, our health, on and on and on. It's not easy. The pain is real. The tears are many. But when Christ is your life and one or more of these things are taken away from you, then in the end, suffering, the taking away of these things only drives you more to who? To Christ. And suffering becomes a gift when treasuring Christ above all is your goal. Amen. Suffering becomes a gift when treasuring Christ above everything is your goal. I was talking with Gilbert before this gathering. He was telling me about when he was in prison for his faith, how he had nowhere else to turn, how prison made him a man of prayer, how prison made him a man of the word, how prison made him a man of faith. Prison caused him to cling to Christ like he'd never clinged to Christ before. Do you see that gift? When you realize that, you realize the dangerous place to be is not in prison, but in comfort and safety because imprisonment, danger for your faith causes you to cling to Christ when comfort, safety oftentimes causes you to cling to this world. That's the dangerous place to be. That doesn't mean nowhere in scripture do we see exhortations to pursue suffering, to pursue persecution, to pursue even dying for our faith. That's not martyrdom, that's just plain dumb. We don't do that. We don't pursue. But when we pursue Christ in a world of sin and suffering, then we will experience sin and suffering. And the more that suffering is taken away from our lives, the more we'll be drawn to Christ. And do you realize, so this is so big, do you realize what this treasuring Christ above all means then for your life? Don't miss this. Because the Bible is showing us here a rock solid foundation for security and joy and peace and hope and life in this world, in this turbulent world, this world of suffering. So follow this. When you're treasuring Christ over and above everything in this world, then there is nothing this world can do to you to rob you of your joy and your hope and your peace and your life because you have all these things in Christ and nothing can ever take that away from you. Amen. Cancer can't take that away from you. Nothing, nothing. That's why Paul says prison. Like my freedom being taken away, this is not easy, but it's good. Why? Because Christ is being magnified. And not just in Paul's life. So follow this. It's not just about Paul. Not just about you. It's not just about me. Because in the providence of God, suffering leads to the spread of the gospel to others. Suffering leads not just you and me to treasure Christ more, but suffering leads others to see Christ as the treasure he is. Listen to Paul. He's saying, here I am in prison. My freedom is gone. 
But look what's happening as a result. The whole imperial guard is hearing about Christ. Christ is being preached all over the place. Then he says point blank, I want to be gone. Like I don't want to be here. Suffering in prison, I don't want to be here anymore. I desire to depart and be with Christ. That would be better by far. Not even close for Paul. Uh, No, I want to be with him. But then he says, I so want you to know the treasure that's found in Christ. So I'm glad to stay here toward that end, that you might know him, that you might know how good he is. Don't miss, don't miss the connection here between suffering and the spread of the gospel. Think about it. If you and I profess faith in Christ and everything always goes well for us, then the world will not take notice of that. The world will see us just like everybody else. What, you have all the comforts, all the stuff of this world like everybody else? You tack on Jesus on Sundays? Big deal. Nice for you. But here's where things will take a decidedly different turn. When you lose some of the best, some of the most valuable, the most precious gifts in this world, and in the middle of suffering, you have joy and peace and hope because Christ is your life, then the world will take notice of that. When that child is born with special needs that totally changes the course of your life and family, and like many families across this church, you're exhausted every single day caring for those needs, yet in the middle of your weakness, you say, the strength of Christ is sufficient for me. The world will take notice of that. When that cancer is killing your blood cells and you're walking through indescribable pain and in the midst of that pain, it's not that the pain isn't real, it is real, yet in the midst of that pain, you testify Christ alone is my peace. The world will take notice of that. When you get that diagnosis that you only have months to live and then you live those months with hope and not despair because Christ is your life, then the world takes notice of that. When you lose that person you love and you're dependent on and you're grieving like you've never grieved before, but in the middle of that grief, you say, I trust in Christ. He's my king and I know he will take care of me. The world takes notice of that. I was talking with a brother this last week with liver cancer. He desperately needs a transplant. He just found out he doesn't qualify for one. Yet he told me, he said, I'm sending out prayer updates to all kinds of people every week and I'm preaching the gospel on every single one of them. And he said, literally like Paul, these were his words, I just want Christ to be glorified whether I live or I die. That's a different way to live. And that's a different way to die. This is huge. Because when Christ is your life, follow this, then not only is suffering a gift, but when Christ is your life, then dying is gain. It's gain. Do you see this? To live is Christ and to die is okay too? No, it's gain. It's better. How's that possible? Put it all together. Think about what we've talked about. When everything, even the best things in this world are in one column under loss and Christ's is in one column under gain, then when literally everything is taken from you, your family, your spouse, your children, your possessions, every one of them, your job, your health, your very breath, when it's all gone, then what will you have? You will have Christ and you will have him as you've never had him before more fully and more finally than you've ever had him before. You will have Christ. So this is the question then for all of us. Do you love Christ? Asking this right where you're sitting and don't just let this kind of be vague general, just in your seat, let this land on your heart. Do you love Christ so much that to lose everything in order to be with him 
would be gain for you. Do you love Christ so much that to lose everything in order to be with him would be, you'd say, gain. That is a radical way to live. And that is radical truth to believe. And as your pastor, I just, I just sense as I was preparing and now even preaching this, I just, this is totally against the grain of every message we hear in our culture, even oftentimes in our church culture. And as your pastor, I'm just urging you in this moment, I'm urging you to believe this truth, to believe that Christ is better, to believe that Christ is better than falling in love, than marrying and having healthy children and seeing your children grow up and making a name for yourself and finishing your career and having your dream home and dream vacations and dream retirement. Christ is better than all of those things. Christ is better than life. Amen. When you believe this, when you believe this, then you will live so different in this world. You won't run after all this world says you want and says you need. You'll see this world in its proper perspective. You'll see your life in its proper perspective. And then, oh, don't miss it. Then, then it will just make sense to sacrifice your possessions, to sacrifice your plans and your dreams and your comforts and your safety. It will just make sense to sacrifice your life to make the goodness and greatness and glory of Christ known in Washington and the goodness and greatness and glory of Christ known wherever God leads you in the world. Now, now it will make sense to take this gospel of Jesus Christ to the Middle East and to gladly send your kids there as well. For now, because of Christ, follow this. The worst thing that could happen to you or them, death, has actually become the best thing that could happen to you or them. In Christ, the worst thing that could happen to you, death, has become the best thing that will happen to you. Gain. <laughs> that transforms. That transforms how you, how you view comfort and health and safety in this world. And it totally transforms everything when Christ is your life. So it's, it's one thing to preach this, talk about this. It's another thing to live this. So I want to invite you to watch this video with me. At the end of May 2001, American missionaries to the Philippines, Martin and Gracia Burnham, made the fateful decision to celebrate their 18th wedding anniversary in a secluded resort on the island of Palawan. About four in the morning, there was pounding on the door, bang, 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 and at first I thought it was a drunk guard or something, and um, Martin kind of knew we were in trouble. And just as he got to the door, it burst open, and in came three guys with M16s, and I think one of them had a mask on. The masked men were Abu Sayyaf, a militant Muslim terrorist group with ties to Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. Along with 20 other guests, the Burnhams were forced from their room at gunpoint and taken many miles across the open sea to the Muslim stronghold of Basilan. For more than a year, the Burnhams were constantly on the move, living in primitive conditions in the jungle, evading capture from the Philippine military under the total control of their captors. They were the enemy, and we never forgot that they were the bad guys. But on the other hand, they were our family. They were the people that we'd lived with for a year and hiked with and starved with. And you got to know the personalities of the guys. Throughout their captivity, the Burnhams had lived through 16 different gun battles between the Abu Sayyaf and the Philippine military. On the afternoon of June 7th, over a year since their abduction, the bullets erupted once more. I dropped from the hammock, and before I even got to the ground, I was shot in the leg. And I kind of slid down the mountain. It was so steep. I slid down a little bit and came to rest beside Martin. And I looked over at him, and he was bleeding from his chest. 
during the gun battle, you know, the grenades were going off all around us and the shooting, but I just kept thinking every moment was my last moment. And um, sometime during that time, I just felt Martin's body just get real heavy, a heaviness. Tragically, Martin was killed during the firefight. Gracia was rescued and returned home amidst a national spotlight. Was there no way Gracia or Martin could escape? Sean Hannity, welcome to the show. Good to have you. Thank you for being with us Thank you. Boy, it started as a romantic getaway for Martin and Gracia Bird of American missionaries working in the Philippines. But for her first daytime interview, and I want to thank her for having the courage to be here today. Gracia, good to have you with us. Thank you. The outpouring of support was beyond anything Gracia could have imagined. Aisha Burnham lived through a real nightmare of fear, captivity, physical trauma, and devastating loss. Yet she has survived the ordeal more convinced of God's grace than ever before. Gracia truly has lived in the presence of her enemies, and with God's help, has learned to fly again. recently have gotten to know Gracia Burnham enough to know that uh, that made her very uncomfortable. Um, just because the spirit of Christ is all over this sister. I, uh, well, let me, let me uh, start a little bit back. So what is, what did your and Martin's ministry look like in the Philippines? What were you guys doing there? Oh, Martin was a jungle pilot for New Tribes Mission. Um, people that work with New Tribes Mission, who's changed their name now, Ethnos 360, work in jungle areas where roads don't go. They go into totally unreached and unreachable places. So our job was to take supplies to people who were living in the middle of nowhere, sharing the gospel. And think of all the things you buy for your household in a month. We had 12 families that we would buy that stuff and box it up and take it in. And we were available for medical emergencies and to bring tribal people out when they needed it. And uh, we did that for 17 years. We loved our ministry there. They have pretty state-of-the-art airports in those areas? <laughs> uh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting flying. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing. I, I'm guessing you all knew that uh, that there's uh, safer places to fly mm -hmm. in the world and longer landing strips with uh, like pavement. Um, so why did you all go to the Philippines? Why use your gifts in that way? Oh, I think Martin knew that. One person can make a difference. Martin grew up in the Philippines. His parents were tribal missionaries. When they had four little children, they felt God calling them to go to an unreached people group. And they were the first foreigners ever into this group of people called the Ibaloi. And Martin grew up with that. And when he would go off to boarding school, the pilot that would come and pick him and his brothers and sisters up, uh, you know, took them in a small airplane and that began his love of flying. So when he became a, go a good pilot, he thought, well, I should just use my gifts for something that matters. And he, he became a missionary pilot. I think, if I could just pause for a second there, I was thinking about this. Like, let's get the picture of a brother and sister who are pursuing Christ, obedience to Christ. It's not just like thrill-seeking, hey, we want to go do some cool flying, but if we want to obey Christ, and if that means we let go of comforts, then we want to obey Christ. If that means we let go of safety, and this is not a place, yeah, not, a, not the easiest job flying-wise, but we're going to let go of that because we're obeying Christ. So obviously that wasn't all that the Lord would call you to let go of in the days to come. So how... Have you seen suffering as a gift? 
Oh, I think God gave me the gift of suffering in order to change me. And I didn't even realize that I needed changed yeah. until everything was gone and everything but Martin was yeah. taken away from me. And there in the jungle, I began to see a Gracia that I didn't even want to believe existed. Uh, yeah. I saw a hateful Gracia. I saw a Gracia that thought God had abandoned us. Um, it was shocking what happened in my heart. And when I saw that, I began to cry out to God, God, would you change me? Because I was such a mess, I didn't even think he could. Yeah. But of course, God can do anything, and he promised to change us. And he started teaching me really good things in the jungle. Forgiveness, kindness, love, joy, peace, you know, all those things that, that you want to be in your heart. And I wonder if it's things that never would have happened if I hadn't had my jungle experience. Hmm. So looking back, uh, in light of all that happened, uh, do you regret going to the Philippines? Um, no, I, I don't regret going to the Philippines. We love the Philippines and our hearts are still there. Hmm. Uh, one of the last things Martin said to me, we were hiking, a long day of hiking, and I was so discouraged, as I often was. And I said, you know, I, I don't know how much longer I can do this. And Martin said, Gracia, I've been thinking about Psalm 100 all day long, especially that first verse that talks about serving the Lord with gladness. He said, this doesn't seem like serving the Lord. We've been walking through this jungle for over a year. But let's, by faith, accept that that's what we're doing here, that we're serving God here, and let's do it with gladness. And minutes later, the military came over the hill, opened fire on us, and he was dead. It was like God's, God's words to me through Martin, his final charge. And so I can carry that with me. You know, what, whatever God calls me to do now, I'm going to do it with my whole heart. Mm. I'm going to do it with gladness. Mm. Amen. Yeah. like real to live as Christ and to die is gain gladness both so here's here's what I want us to do in this room and other campuses uh, I, I want us to pray and I want us to pray in two different directions and I'm gonna uh, call us to pray here at other campuses and then uh, after we've prayed all around these rooms uh, then I want to ask Gracia to lead us in prayer. Um, I want us to pray in two ways. One, I want us to pray uh, specifically for brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering right now for the spread of the gospel. Think, think, especially like, and suffering looks so many different ways in this room, other places, all around the world. But think specifically people who are in prison, who are being held captive, who, uh, which is a reality for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ right now. And we are, I was in 1 Corinthians 12 this last week, when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. Like we need to come alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ and, uh, and pray for them, intercede for them and their families. And so I want us all across this room and other rooms in just a minute, just uh, whether you do this alone or with somebody else or with a group of people, you can do it right where you're sitting, you can get on your knees, you can stand, but I just want us to cry out to God. And I, I think of uh, I think of times I've been in, in places like South Korea and our Korean brothers and sisters just they, they call it like one cry like they're just all with their voices crying out to God at the same time and I want to invite us to do that just with our voices just start speaking to God at the same time on behalf of our brothers and sisters around the world and I would invite you I know there's 106 different nations in here you pray in your heart language like let's just cry out to God with one voice though all at the same time out loud let's pray intercede for our suffering brothers and sisters around the world. And then the second way, and I'll just kind of lead us to shift in our praying. I want us to pray for our lives and our families and our, our church. If you're not part of this church, to pray for your church, that we would live like, like this is what we believe. Not like we're uh, just going along with the rest of the world and tacking Jesus onto it. So 
Does that make sense? So here and at other campuses, I just want to invite us right now. Again, you can do this by yourself or uh, with one or two or more people around you. Sit, stand on your face. Just let's begin right now. I want to invite you to speak aloud to God and let's cry out to God on behalf of our persecuted, suffering brothers and sisters around the world right now. Let's plead to our Father for our brothers and sisters, our family in chains. So let's, let's do that right now. You just begin calling out to God. Heavenly Father, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters who are hurting today, hurting because they know you and that they've had the boldness to step out and follow you and share you with their neighbors and their co-workers and because of that, they're facing hardship. I pray that today you would be very, very near to them. I pray for the women who've lost their husbands this week because their husbands decided they would stay true to you. Would you comfort those women's hearts? We pray for children who are going to grow up now without their dads like Gilbert did. Lord, I pray that those kids will know that their dads are heroes. They stayed true to God's word. Um, their dads stayed true to you. I pray that you would provide for them uh, food, water, what, whatever they need today. We just lift them up and, and we pray that you would most of all be glorified through their lives because that's the very reason these folks are suffering persecution. They want you to be lifted up. And then I pray for us, the church here in America. Oh Lord, would you shake us to our core? Would you... Um, Teach us to open our mouths and talk about the beautiful Savior that we've got and how you've changed our lives and our hearts. And Lord, this morning, we offer our children to you today to go out to places that will never hear the gospel otherwise. And I pray that we'll be their biggest cheerleaders of the, as they go to hard places. And we offer our grandchildren to you that they'll love you enough to go out and spread the gospel and us. We pray that everything will just be counted as loss for the excellency of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. If you'd like to watch this full sermon or hundreds of other sermons, interviews, articles, and podcasts, that's all available free to you at our newly updated home on the web, Radical.net. And if you're in the Washington, D.C. area and would like to hear David in person, you can make plans to visit McLean Bible Church, where David serves as the teaching pastor. You can learn more about McLean and find a campus near you at McLeanBible.org. Well, I'm your host, Thomas Bowen, and until next time, join us at Radical.net.